the readings uh, today give me an opportunity uh, to speak about a favorite theme of mine, and that is the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. The sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. So this is a little different than how I usually preach. I usually like to just dive into one text for the most part, but we're going to look at these uh, readings um, and look at this theme in the readings, the sacrificial love of Jesus. Where you have love, you have sacrifice. True love uh, issues in sacrifice. 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 You have great love. And I was reminded of that this week in a rather vivid way with the birth of our little guy Samuel last Saturday. Uh, as Josie gave birth to him Saturday morning without pain medicine. And you see the, the sacrifice and the pain that's involved in giving birth uh, to a child. It's a loving act. I did witness that, although I was in and out quite a bit, I have to admit, pacing the halls and praying. And then the days to follow, you know, the sleepless nights to come with a little guy who thinks that happy hour is between one and five in the morning. <laughs> and so that's what's going on in our house right now. So I'm going to try to get myself up here. I'm a little sleepy, but not as sleepy as Josie. But where you have great sacrifice, you have great love. And the greatest sacrifice is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so we want to meditate on that this morning. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that um, to meditate rightly on the suffering of Christ, on the cross of Christ, is more valuable than spending a whole year fasting or weeks singing the Psalms or hundreds of masses. Because when you meditate rightly on the suffering of Christ, it can change you. It can make you new. It's the love of God in Christ that changes us from the inside out. And so that's what we're going to do is meditate on the suffering of Christ. Look at Isaiah 53, our first reading, which is, is a prophecy of the death of the Messiah, the sacrificial death of the Messiah. This is one of four suffering song passages in Isaiah. Sometimes in Isaiah, the suffering servant is the nation of Israel. It's sort of a corporate idea that the whole nation is going to suffer for the cause of God and witness to God in their suffering. But sometimes in the suffering servant passages, Isaiah is talking about a person, and that's what we have here in Isaiah 53. He's talking about an individual, not a nation, because this person is going to save the nation. He's not identified with the nation. He's going to bring salvation to the people of Israel and really all the people of the world. One Old Testament scholar said that Isaiah 53 is so remarkable for Christians because the clearest place in the Old Testament where we have this idea of an individual suffering for the sins of other people. This idea of a substitutionary atonement. Christ our substitute. Christ our sacrifice. So that our sins are atoned for. And there's so much to talk about here and to think about in Isaiah 53, but I want to hone in on just what I think are the key verses in this chapter. Uh, verses 5 through 6. But He was pierced for our transgressions. 
our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one. Every one of us in this room. We've turned to our own way. That's a definition of sin. Turning to our own way away from God. But the Lord and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Transgressions. He was pierced for our transgressions. That word has the idea behind it of a rebellion against God. Have you ever rebelled willfully against God? Knowing that you're doing something wrong, but you proceed headlong, doing the thing that you know is not right. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That word behind that word has the idea of guilt before God. Have you ever felt guilty in the presence of God? Well, Jesus, the suffering servant, the Messiah, He was pierced for our transgressions. He sacrificed Himself so that rebels can become friends of God. And so that those who are guilty before God can be cleansed in His presence. And so central to Isaiah 53 is the idea that Jesus's sacrifice, the Messiah's sacrifice would be a substitute for us in our place so that we could be reconciled to God. This idea of of sacrifice so that things can be set to right, so that things can be made right, that idea that it takes a sacrifice for things to be made right. That's deep in the in the consciousness of humanity, I think. That that concept that when something's wrong, a payment needs to be made to rectify it, that runs really deep in the human psyche. And you can see it across cultures. I was reading a book by uh, Bishop Festo Kivengere, uh, who was the bishop of Uganda and a leader in the East African revival. Powerful ministry, powerful man. In one of his books, he talks about this idea of atonement. And he he talks about being in Uganda, an atonement ritual that he was familiar with as a boy. When somebody would accidentally kill another person, say, he, he says, say, for example, somebody got drunk and they accidentally killed another person in an accident. Well, something has to be done to make that right. It was an accident, but I guess we'd call it involuntary manslaughter or something like that today. Something has to be done about that. And something has to be done to prevent or revenge killing. The, the, the offended tribe would take revenge on the guilty tribe. And so what they would do is the, 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 the guilty tribe, the guilty party would come to the elders and confess their guilt. And the elders would call for this atonement ritual. And they would take the two groups together and they would meet at a crossroads. And they would sacrifice a perfect cow or a perfect lamb or sheep, that something had to be paid in order to make this right. And the, the, the offended party would lay down their weapons and they would come together and they would dip their hands in this sacrificial blood and then they would join hands together. And that's how they knew that things were made right, that there wouldn't be revenge, that the guilty could go free. Now, the bishop, Bishop Festo said that worked 
outwardly. The tribes respected that ritual because they didn't want to get caught up in this revenge cycle. So that payment was sufficient outwardly, but he said it takes a more precious sacrifice, the blood of God's own son, to cleanse us inwardly and to make us right before God. And that's what we see Isaiah 53 is saying is happening in the sacrifice of the Messiah, the suffering servant. We see God's love for us in this, that God paid the greatest price. His son, the righteous one, Isaiah calls him in verse one, bears our iniquity so that we might be counted righteous. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteous one, my servant, the Messiah, make many to be counted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. And that's. Us, we're in the many who are accounted as righteous as we trust in this atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Did you hear that language in this is a striking chapter? The language is striking about what happens to God's servant. He was stricken. He was smitten. He was pierced. He was bruised. He was crushed. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. For us. So that we can be forgiven. And when you see great sacrifice, you have great love. And that's what we see there. Now, in our epistle reading, why don't you turn to the reading in Hebrews? We see another facet of Jesus's sacrificial love. The writer says a lot here about the priesthood of Jesus. And I'm going to come back to that, but I want to focus on what he says in verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries, or you could translate that loud crying and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. God was able to save Jesus from death, but first he had to go through the cross. He had to go through the suffering. On the other side of that is resurrection. But I think what the writer of Hebrews has in mind here is, is the mental and spiritual anguish that Jesus experienced before he went to the cross. As Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he was facing the cross, he uttered up with prayers and supplication, loud cries and tears. And we get a picture of that in the Synoptic Gospels. We get a picture of that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke really brings it out in Luke 22. When Luke says that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's getting ready to face the cross, he says, Father, if you're willing to take this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And then Luke adds this, and being in agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. That's how much agony that Jesus was in. As he faced the cross and that might have literally happened, I think literally it did happen. This is not just figurative, but there is a medical condition that when people are under great stress and great anguish that can sometimes happen, and that is the capillary blood vessels dilate and burst. And there's a mixture of blood and sweat and tears. 
But this is the depth of Jesus's anguish. We, we don't often think about how it costs Jesus spiritually and mentally. We think about the physical pain, and that's certainly part of it. But this is what Jesus went through. This was part of the costliness of Jesus's sacrifice that we see mentioned in Hebrews. You know, one of the points, uh, really the, the major point, I think, of the entire book of Hebrews is, and we studied it in our Bible study some time ago, stay faithful to Christ no matter what because of all He's done for you. Because of all that He has gone through for you, stay faithful to Him. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but we do have a pretty good sense that He's right who are tempted who are, who are tempted to apostatize to, to turn back from Christ and maybe to go back to Judaism because they're facing persecution maybe they're facing ridicule from their family members how can you follow a crucified messiah who's ever heard of a crucified messiah and there was pressure on them to walk away from Christ and maybe to go back depending on how you want to date the book of Hebrews maybe go back to the temple and back to the sacrificial system. And back to the priesthood. And, and the author of Hebrews is saying, remember what Jesus suffered for you. Why would you want to be disloyal to Him? Remember that Jesus is the greatest priest you can ever have. Because unlike the priest in the temple who sacrificed blood, uh, the, the blood of goats and lambs, He gave Himself. And unlike the priest in the temple, they have their own sin they have to sacrifice for. Jesus is the sinless one. He offers up the perfect sacrifice. And unlike the priests in the temple who are from human origin, Jesus is the Son of God. He's from God. He's after the order of Melchizedek. And that's an allusion to this, that's a reference, rather, to this priestly figure who shows up in Genesis and the Abraham stories. Abraham offers a sacrifice or tithe to Melchizedek and you don't know where he comes from. You don't know his lineage. And the writer of Hebrews is saying Jesus is from God. He's after the order of Melchizedek. He is fully human, but he is higher than any priest that you can have on earth. He's at the right hand of God even now. But the point is, why would you want to leave this priest? Why would you want to leave this one who has suffered so much for you in your place? And that's a word for us today, isn't it? You know, sometimes we go, oftentimes we go through difficult situations and suffering and we wonder, does God really care? Does God love me? Is God with me? And we can look to the cross of Christ and remember in the suffering that He went through for us, yes, He does love me. He does care. Sometimes we're tempted by the things of this world to place our hopes and our values on Money and status and possessions and getting ahead. And we're tempted to compromise. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, remember this one who gave his life for you, who uttered up cries with loud groaning as he faced Calvary for your sake. Be loyal to him. Stay loyal to Christ. He's shown you great love with his great sacrifice. And then in our gospel reading, we get to hear how Jesus thought about his suffering in Jesus's own words. This is a really, I think, important passage in all of the gospels. 
because most scholars date Mark very early. And this is one of the earliest sayings of Jesus. And it's so clear how he thought about his death. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served and to give his life as a what? A ransom for many. This is how Jesus thought about his death. What is a ransom? A ransom is a payment that you make to somebody who is enslaving perhaps another person or somebody is, uh, 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 had to sell themselves because of debt into slavery and the only way to get them back was to pay a ransom to free them. The only way to be set free is a ransom payment. And unfortunately, we see that in our news today with, this, with the terrorism. People are captive, uh, made captives by these terrorists and held hostage. And the only way to get them out is a ransom payment. And Jesus paid the ransom to free us. The only payment that really is effective. The only payment that can set us free from the penalty of sin, which is separation from God, has been made by Christ. Because of His atoning work, we can be free from guilt and shame. We can be free from thinking that we're unworthy of God, unlovable, unacceptable. We're free from all that if we accept the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because we know God has loved us this much. We're free from thinking we have to do something to earn the favor of God. You know, the other day, uh, after the great tragic loss to the Cubs, <laughs> and I heard Adam Wainwright, after, remember the, the, the game he gave up, that pitch, the first pitch, he came in, and he was the hero, you know, of the team. He's the guy, we're glad that he's back. He's going to mow them down and keep us close. He comes in, first pitch, and I think it was Solaire, he, nobody clear. Cheer for this when I say this. There was people in the first service that cheered when I said this because they're Cubs fans. There are heretics still in the church. But first pitch, boom, over the fence. And that's it. That pretty much was the game. And after they interviewed Wainwright, he just sounded so guilt-ridden. And he was so sorry about what he had done. And he said, I admit, that was the game right there. I gave it up. And I'm going to try to do better. I'm really not going to make that mistake again. I'm going to try really hard. And I thought when I heard that, that's how some people think about the Christian life. I screw up. I try. I got to try harder. I got to do better next time to be acceptable to God. It's a matter of trying more, trying harder. And then God will accept me. But that's not really the Christian message. It's not about trying. It's about trusting Trusting in what God has already done for you in Jesus Christ. Trusting that Christ has lived a holy life in your place. Trusting that His death really is the sacrifice, the ransom for your sin. He's your ransom payment. And the more we trust Him and the more we love Him because of the love that He showed us, then we will naturally want to get better. We will grow in holiness and likeness to Christ. Because you become more like the people you love. And that's why we need to continue to look back on the cross of Christ. To grow in love and trust. There's a preacher who tells a story. I'll close with this. Uh, he was pastoring a, a small rural church. 
and comprised mainly of coal miners and farmers and hard working class people who, who just experienced some hard knocks in life. And one of the stories this pastor heard when he was in that community was a was of a miner who was a strong believer who was injured at a very young age. And the preacher said, I learned uh, I learned so much about the nature and foundation of true faith from this story, uh, almost more than I learned in my seminary education. But he said um, this, this young guy had become an invalid. And over the years, he watched as his friends and co-workers grew up, started to raise a family, got married, had grandkids. He was bedridden. He could look out the window and see this happening. The people that he once worked with, uh, life passing him by, so to speak. And uh, his house was becoming more and more run down. The, the mining company had not adequately compensated him for his loss and for his injury. And, and one day when he was an elderly man, a young man came to see him. And he said, I hear that you love God and you believe that God loves you. How is that possible in the condition you're in? How can you say God has God loves you after all that's happened to you? And the old man thought about it for a while. And then he answered, he said, well, you're right. There are days of doubt. There are days of struggle. Sometimes it seems like Satan himself comes calling on me and he'll point out the window to the men I used to work with and say, they have strong bodies. Look, you're weak. Does God really love you? Does Jesus really love you? And then Satan will take me and, and have me look at my tattered house and I'll see the fine houses of all my friends. And he'll ask me again, does Satan, does Jesus really love you? And then he'll point out to the, the grandchildren of my friends. Look at all that you messed out on. Does Jesus really love you? And so the young man said, well, what do you say to that? He was amazed at the candor of this old believer. And the old miner said, well, I take the devil by the hand and I lead him up to a hill called Calvary. And I show him the thorns on his brow. And I show him the nail-pierced hands. And I show him the nail-pierced side. And I say, that's how I know. That's how I know. Jesus loves me. God loves me. When you see great sacrifice, you have great love. And the greatest love is shown in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. No matter what we go through in this life, no matter what temptations we face, let's not forget the sacrifice of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us to remember what You've done for us in Jesus Christ. Even today, as we approach the, the table of the Lord, we want to approach remembering what these texts say and giving thanks for the ransom payment. Giving thanks that you have laid upon him our iniquity so that we don't earn our salvation, but we trust in the payment that you've made. We want to come remembering your love for us. Sometimes we feel unloved and unworthy in your presence. But help us to take seriously this pledge of love. Strengthen our faith and our loyalty to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said.